morning. We're going to have uh, Pete Lineker is going to lead us out this morning out of the uh, dedication of the Temple of Solomon. So uh, go ahead, Pete. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 12. He, Solomon, stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform and had placed it in the middle of the enclosure. It was seven and one-half feet long, seven and, a half, seven and one-half feet wide, and four and one-half feet high. He stood on it and then got down on his knees in front of the entire assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands towards the sky and prayed, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You maintain covenantal loyalty to your servants who obey you with sincerity. You have kept your word to your servant, my father David. This very day you have fulfilled what you promised. Now, O Lord God of Israel, keep the promise you made to your servant, my father David, when you said, you will never fail to have a successor ruling before me on the throne of Israel, provided that your descendants watch their step and obey my law as you have done. Now, O Lord God of Israel, may the promise you made to your servant David be realized. God does not really live with humankind on the earth. Look, if the sky and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. But respond favorably to your servant's prayer and his request for help. O Lord my God, answer the desperate prayer your servant is presenting to you. Night and day may you watch over this temple, the place where you promised you would live. May you answer your servant's prayer for this place. Respond to the requests of your servant and to your people Israel for this place. Hear from your heavenly dwelling place and respond favorably and forgive. When someone is accused of sinning against his neighbor and the latter pronounces a curse on the alleged offender before your altar in this temple, listen from heaven and make a just decision about your servant's claims. Condemn the guilty party, declare the other innocent, and give them both what they deserve. If your people Israel are defeated by an enemy because they sinned against you, then if they come back to you, renew their allegiance to you and pray for your help before you in this temple, and listen from heaven, forgive the sin of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to them and their ancestors. The time will come when the skies are shut up tightly, no rain falls because your people sinned against you, and they direct their prayers toward this place, renew their allegiance to you and turn away from their sin because you punish them. Then listen from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Certainly you will then teach them the right way to live and send rain on your land that you have given your people to possess. The time will come when the land suffers from a famine, a plague, blight and a disease, or a locust invasion, or when their enemy lays siege to the cities of the land, or when some other type of plague or epidemic occurs. When all your people, Israel, pray and ask for help as they acknowledge their intense pain and spread out their hands towards this temple, then listen from your heavenly dwelling place. Forgive their sin and act favorably toward each one based on your evaluation on their motives. Indeed, you are the only one who can correctly evaluate the motives of all people. Then they will honor you by obeying you throughout their lifetimes as they live on the land you gave to our ancestors. Foreigners who do not belong to your people, Israel, will come from a distant land because of your great reputation and your ability to accomplish mighty deeds. 
they will come and direct their prayers toward this temple. Then listen from your heavenly dwelling place and answer all the prayers of the foreigners. Then all the nations of the earth will acknowledge your reputation. Obey you like your people Israel do and recognize that this temple I built belongs to you. When you direct your people to march out and fight their enemies and they direct their prayers to you toward this chosen city, and this temple I built for your honor, then listen from heaven to their prayers for help and vindicate them. The time will come when your people will sin against you, for there is no one who is sinless, and you will be angry at them and deliver them over to their enemies, who will take them as prisoners to their land, whether, they, whether far away or close by. When your people come to their senses in the land where they are being held prisoner, they will repent and beg for your mercy in the land of their imprisonment, admitting, we have sinned and gone astray. We have done evil. When they return to you with all their heart and being in the land where they are held prisoner and direct their prayers toward the land you gave to their ancestors, your chosen city and the temple I built for your honor, then listen from your heavenly dwelling place to their prayers for help. Vindicate them and forgive your sinful people. Now, my God, may you be attentive and responsive to the prayers offered in this place. Now, Ascend, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. May your priests, O Lord God, experience your deliverance. May your loyal followers rejoice in the prosperity you give. O Lord God, do not reject your chosen ones. Remember the faithful promises you made to your servant David. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering the sacrifices, and the Lord's glory filled the temple. The priests were unable to enter the Lord's temple because the Lord's splendor filled the temple. When all the Israelites saw the fire come down and the Lord's splendor over the temple, they got on their knees with their faces downward toward the pavement. They worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, Certainly he is good. Certainly his loyal love endures. Is on the glory that is coming. Isaiah 40 verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Chapter 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.
decision it's yours and you've made us you've chosen us you direct us and you call us it all starts with you it all starts with it all starts with you, it all starts with you, you, you call us, you, turn my eyes and my heart to you, I look at you and I look at you.
Psalms 27, 4. We've heard this probably so many times quoted. David, he says, uh, just one thing. Because there's so many things we can ask. And he said he just wanted one thing. It can be really tough sometimes to check all our motivations at the door. Our history's at the door, our thoughts at the door, our longings at the door, our future's at the door, our past at the door. As David says one thing. He had become a, a, a one-thing man. one thing that he requested it was something he asked for it wasn't a demand it wasn't a last option it wasn't you know like I don't know what else I'm going to do so this is what this is what I'm going to pick we don't have anywhere else to go so we'll finally get down to this he made a request I mean, if someone makes a request like that, they must know something because the way we are as human beings is we set value. Devaluation, valueization, we value everything. Was, how do we value this? How are we, how we going to work this proposition out? How are we going to make this happen? And, said one thing I've asked and I asked it of he calls him the Lord so he recognizes his sovereignty he's not calling him his Savior he's saying you're my Lord made you like in control of everything in my life and no matter where it takes me no matter where I go you're the Lord I think David might have knew what Matthew what was going to be written in Matthew 7 why do you call me Lord Lord you know and you don't do what I say David knew that obedience was better than sacrifice now we can make all the sacrifice you want but what mattered to the Lord is that he did what the Lord said to do and so he said I call you my Lord I call you Adonai the greatest stabilization of the human soul in the original Eden in the fall in the fall was to destabilize the Adonai inside the human heart someone had to be in charge and when mankind and chose to be in charge the greatest destabilization come and they were cast into a place of wondering trouble pride
problems in their marriage and with their children and family situation. They forsook Adonai, the Lord. I don't know if he'll be faithful. I don't know if he's someone I can trust. David said, my return and my restoration will be one thing. Not two things, not three, but one. Not one plus and a caveat, no. Just to be with you. No, how can life be that way? Is that reality? Or is reality something else? No. It can't be because it, he says one thing. Have I asked of the Lord? Adonai. Have I asked of you? That is where my seeker, everything that I'm about is going. I'm going to seek after the one thing. To What is it? I want to dwell in your house. Human nature is looking for comfort and pleasure. It's a philosophical way of the human nature. If I could just find a place that would make me feel better, someone would like me. Someone would pay me some attention. If I could just find this one thing, I would finally be settled. All human longing will never be satisfied apart from him. No, it has to be something else, Carol. It can't be. If it was, why is the world not satisfied? Why can you have fame and stardom, popularity, and you're still not satisfied? Why can you have the end goal of what everybody seems to be seeking? Houses and lands and cars and things, and we see it, and it's still not satisfied. How, how is that? It's because that's, that's the pipe dream. No matter what way it presents itself, a lack or a lot, whether you're abased or you abound, Paul had said he found something. David found something. He found one thing, and it, it wasn't going to be another thing. God finds you in that one thing, and you find Him. And the great transformation comes in the human heart. I want to dwell in your house. Is it possible to dwell in a house when you feel high and dry? Is it possible to dwell in a house when there's chaos all around you? There must be. All destabilization, all insecurity, it's a lack of dwelling. I want to dwell in this house all the days of my life. 
what happens to you and what happens to me and it messes with us so bad. It's happened to me. It's, it's, it's knocked me off my horse. It's knocked me. It's when the beauty of God begins to reveal. Oh, man. It messes with you. You'll never be the same. And then you get afraid because where else are you going to go? What else is going to provide that beauty? Nothing but Him. Where is the inquiry going to happen? Where are you going to learn anything other than what you already know? How are you ever going to be changed? He says this, I, I didn't know this till today. He said, son, go to Psalms 27.4. Dwell means, is the Hebrew word sabit. I may not be pronouncing this correctly, but I think I am. It's a samek, a bet, and a top. It means to sit down. Dwelling means to sit. I like this. It means to remain. And it means to just remain. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've experienced this, but can you imagine the presence of God that never leaves? Can you imagine such a depth of a relationship with him? That it's not like you're left high and dry, but he himself is just there, here. Submit. saying to me this morning and, and Anne, it's a complete secure connection that never ends it's just a deep knowing that nothing can destabilize nothing can take you out of nothing can move you nobody else's idea no, nothing why if you don't have an ulterior motive and you've decided one thing that's it a bit. His house means a palace. <laughs> so when it says, I want to dwell in the house, this word here is palace. It's a dwelling house. think that what Lineker was saying is, is that Solomon knew, he said, I built you a place. I built you a temple or a palace. Come down and sit. Come, come and have a seat in me. I'm tired of being all over the place. Y'all know what I mean? Is it just me? I'm tired of being moved. 
in this and that. I'm tired of being pressed on every side and being moved by it and getting out of the seat. The seat of eternal rest. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. I confess that I've had another motivation. I confess my sin. And whether it was me that was motivating me for me, or it was some other object that was motivating me for that, I'm just going to let it be for you. Dwell in your house, Lord. Come and crouch, sit down. Something's been constructed for you. Something you can sit in. something a little different this morning and I've not done this but the Lord told me to do this we're going to go ahead and I want you to come forward we're going to take communion now and then we're going to let the service flow the way it does I'm going to invite you to come up and then come uh, for the elements and then, uh, then we'll all take communion together
took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. said this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you do this in remembrance of me
let me in. I am the Lord, Adonai, Adonai. I submit. I submit. Oh, I submit. I choose. Stephen was saying, and, and you know, we're both sensing the same thing. 
He said, do you feel that weightiness? And I said, yeah, but, you know, there's, there's the weight of the kabod, the kabod of the glory of God. And then there's, there's this weight or weight of hey, like, like he was saying, like, hear the voice of the Lord now. You know, repent now, like, prepare your heart now. Don't, don't wait. Um, while the word may be found, kind of wait. And I said to him, I said, I think it's a national wait. We're at a national threshold in this, in this particular nation. Everything's trying to seep in to destroy people right now like never before. We're in the middle of it. Families, destruction of families, next generation. The nation's in a mess. What if God ordains a people that will stand, or in this case sit, and wait on Him? And let their hearts be restored back to Him as Father so that God could give an awakening. That, see, they want to make you androgynous. You know what this word means? They want to take this thing from the enemy wants to strip the gender. It wants to say you can be hermaphrodite. You know what I mean? It's a direct assault against covenant. The covenant between a man, his wife, the children. There's a national threshold issue right now. Unbelievable, unprecedented, like none of us have ever seen. I'm only 46 years old, but some of you that have been in around longer than I have you're seeing it it's full on assault right now there has to be an answer his name is Jesus there has to be an answer to guilt and shame there has to be an answer to immorality he has a name he's the only hope restoring a remnant unto himself why that we would stand with him in this be transformed be changed inside the national house door just gotta stop it's trying to come in and creep into the homes it's got into what we've trusted, so many people have trusted in that seems so innocent. It's got into Disney. They're pushing their agenda like never before. It's getting into all forms of media. There's an answer. There's a rescue plan. 
Years ago, the Lord said this to me. He said, son, if I didn't allow you to be troubled in the external, you would have never paid attention to the eternal. If you were never destabilized in your external reality, you would have never gave attention to me who is eternal. You wouldn't you would have done it. And I want to confess that's true. I'm sure that I would have went on as business as usual in my life. I have this message from the Lord that he just gave me, and I need to deliver it. I'm in uh, Genesis chapter 18. Starting in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of memory, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. And he humbled himself. He bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I have, if now I have, if finally after all what I've been through, he's 99, ladies and gentlemen, 98, 99, somewhere around there, if all of what I've been through, have, if I found favor in your sight, if I have, not presupposing that he has, probably that's one of the greatest deceptions. You don't see this in this great man, the father of our faith. You do not see this presumption of his own moral excellence. You don't see it. He's not decrying the moral excellence of himself. He says, if I have, if I found favor in your eyes. It's another thing. He says, pass not away. You ever wanted to die? You ever been pushed to the brink edge and you wanted to pass away? You ever asked God to take your life? I have. You ever been pressed out so hard that you don't think there's another way forward? You'll never make it. It's something like it takes courage. It takes courage to be completely dependent. I think it takes all the courage you've got. It don't take courage to be independent. That's called pride. It takes courage to be dependent. It takes courage to admit it. It takes courage when someone says that about you. You don't have anything going for you. I admit that I don't. It takes courage to be completely dependent. And it takes courage to live 
in the middle of your complete and utter dependency. Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Abraham doesn't say he's the father of a multitude. Do you know his name had just been changed? His and Sarah, remember chapter 17? You that know your text well, remember that? He had a hay put on the end of his name, a hay of light. Sarah, her name had been changed from Sarai to Sarah. Their names had been changed. They had an upgraded identity. He had went from high father to father of a multitude. And she had went from uh, like a princess to like princess double portion. Abraham doesn't say, pass not away, I pray thee from thy father of a multitude. He says, I pray thee, pass not away from thy servant. There's something humble about him. There's something attractive about his nature. So much so that I believe it attracted the very God himself. Because the Lord appeared. I, you know, for years I looked at this text and... Now, I don't know how much you've looked at this and examined this text, but I've looked at Genesis 18 years ago. And when it says that three men stood by him. Now, is it the Lord appeared? Or, you know, and some scholars say it was three angels. Is it the Lord appeared or is it three angels? You know what happens in this text if you read it in the original language? They keep switching between the plural and the singular. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Well, what's the context, Carol? You know what the context is? Ishmael. You know what the context is? Name change. You know what the context of this? Baptism and circumcision. Circumci full circumcision of the heart. You know what the context is? We've already done it one way and we had this baby and it wasn't, it's not the promise. You know what the context is? Is regret. The context is we believed 25 years ago for a promise to come. And that promise that you made to us has still not happened. And that promise is, is hurt. I bet it's deeply hurting because that little boy's running around the household. And every time Sarah looks at him, every time she sees him, she knows that is not the promise of the father. I'm going to tell you, if you've ever believed God for any long period of time, and I, I've got a good sense that a lot of you have, there's nothing like believing God and not having what you want. There's a whole other thing in believing God and something's going around or someone's going around and reminding you every day that it is still not his promise. It's... 
but has a way of getting at you. You know, again, it's one thing not to have the promise. It's another thing to have something that keeps telling you every day that it's not the promise. The context is Ishmael's running around the house. Ishmael's an innocent, in some way, innocent boy. What did he do? Did he make that decision? I think in some ways God probably grieved over that. I do. I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if it feels very good to go around the house every day realizing one day that you weren't the one we wanted. You know? You ever experienced that pain? You ever experienced not being wanted? You ever experienced not wanting someone? It hurts. Can you imagine how Abraham feels? He's been talked into something and he went for it. Uh, many of us, if we were really real, we'd know that God didn't take pain out of the middle of this thing. It was hurting. I just want you to know this. It don't, in the middle of promise and in the middle of, in the middle of God, there's pain gets into the family sometimes, does it not? Hey, let's not deny it. Let's not deny Ishmael in this sense. Something's happened in your life that you went all the way for the Lord and some things happened and some consequences happened and it didn't turn out exactly the way you wanted it to. Let's just be real. And some of us are the product of that and we felt it in our households and the family. Some of us didn't, but some of us have. How's a daddy supposed to deal with that? That's his blood, but it wasn't hers. I think, I don't know that, I don't know personally, I don't know personally if you, if you go on with the Lord that, and you follow him that you're not going to experience some pain. I don't know personally, and I can't tell you, and I'm going to run everybody out of church. Wait, I want to hear that preacher talk like that. Come and tell us how, for your three points in a poem, how you're going to liberate us all by social ethical standards today. You're going to run us all off. What's a little, this little small boy running around this family and he's not the promise? Why do you think God would allow that? Hmm. Thank you, Tom. I mean, it says here in Genesis 17, I think they're dealing with this, of the pain in the family. The pain in the family is real. It's not like you can't be in a family and not go through some stuff. It's not one of you in here or under this pavilion that hadn't been through family problems. That's the truth, right? That right there, that's my problem. 
Ishmael's my problem. Get him out of my house. Abraham the whole time is like, God, look back at Genesis 17. He, he says, 17, 17, Abraham falls on his face. What else is the man supposed to do? I mean, what you going to do? Hey, when mama's not happy, the whole house is not happy. <laughs> what you going to do? Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 year old bear? Abraham says unto God, listen what he says, all that Ishmael might live before thee. All that, all that Ishmael might live before thee. Um, the thing that I'm identifying, the thing that I'm fixating on, the problem of the pain, it seems to be like the wrong way to go with it. There's no way to deal with it in the household. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to deal with this problem, this pain? How am I going to deal with the problem that, what problem that you're facing, the thing that you're looking at every day? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with it in my home? All that this child may live before thee. I think we'll hear Jesus later on say, take the objection, love your enemy. <laughs> if someone retaliates against you, bless them. How am I supposed to ever believe the promise? It, it seems like to me that if I'm going to receive the promise of God that he's promising me, some kind of transition had to happen here. God's already upgraded their character. But there's got to be some kind of transition that happens in their heart. And you, and you see this uh, in context. Abraham is beginning to see what he has to do. He has to pray for his son. I've done all I could do. Can you imagine Abraham's had to go to Sarah many times and try to say, Sarah, please love this kid. No, if you love him, you can't love me. Isn't that what she would think? If in some way that you have affection for him, you have affection for Hagar, you can't have affection for me, your loyalty is divided. Hey, polygamy doesn't work. It's enough, the divided nature inside of a human being or a man is enough already when the wife wants her, his complete love to be lavished upon her. It's enough already to lavish the love onto a, a wife of your whole entire self. There's enough uh, conflicts within the man that you don't need two wives, you don't need two husbands. There has to be this transaction that happens here with Abraham. He's going to have to set the basis into another place. The basis of himself and the basis of her and the basis of the child is not going to do in the family context. It's just not going to work because in our humanity, we've come up short. The Bible tells us that we've all come short of what? We've all come, we've all fallen short. I need the basis of the objective truth to be set outside of me. You, you know what it means to come up short, right? Anybody else? 
I need an objective truth. Oh, man. I need a faithful one. I need the Lord, his righteousness. I need one who is faithful from eternity. I need one. I need one. I'm coming up short. All the time. Yeah, but look what you did. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Look what I did. Or look at what I can't do. Look what I can't do. Okay, fine. And look what I did. Okay, fine. Look at him. Oh, look at him. Look what's happening. I love this. I love this text. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. You know, because it's not going to be a guilt based on what I've done. And it's not going to be a shame based on what I can bring to the table. It's going to be, see it? You see the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you see where the context really is set? In him. What is the context here? That Ishmael, wait a minute. We're going to have to put him out. That's not easy a decision to make, is it? He's going to think that I don't care about him. Anybody know what I mean as a dad? You ever had to make a decision as a dad that makes your son or daughter think you don't care about them when you really do, but you can't go and convince them that you do because either one, they won't hear it, or they blame you for something you've done. Anybody else know what that's like? The dad's here. But deep down in your heart, you really do love. I got to make a decision that's hard. But all that my Ishmael might live before thee. I know some of you are in Romans in your mind right now. You're really good. You know your Bible? Cast out the bondwoman and her what? Oh, man. Do we, can we even comprehend the wisdom of God? Can we even understand what he's saying? God knows what he's doing. God knows when a child needs to be put out and another child needs to stay in. If you've ever had to make that decision as a parent, it is not an easy decision to make. But God knows. And God would say, I think, through the text today, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Because there's a promised son that's coming. And he's going to save his people. Even Ishmael's people from their sins. You think that God doesn't love the Arab? You think he doesn't love Ishmael's family? Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yeah, he does. And I've got to bring forth another son. We've got to have an Isaac who's going to have a Jacob, who's going to have a Judah. 
who's going to eventually have a David, who's going to eventually have Jesus. And I'm going to turn this thing all around. We can't understand, Lord. Why are we going through this? Because the man is coming. He's going to save the people from their sins. God says, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. I'm going to establish my covenant with him. For an everlasting covenant. And with his seed after him. What if God would have just stayed with Ishmael in the sense that we don't need to have another child and believe God for the promise that he has? You and me would not be standing here today. There would be no hope for us. God in his infinite wisdom, which is infinite, sees all this. He understands. Sometimes we don't understand God we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. We, don't, we can't make sense out of it. The Lord said, believe me, trust me. I don't understand, Lord. I don't even have a context for this. Trust me. God gives a promise to Ishmael in verse 20. He says, I heard, I heard thee. Behold, I blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make out of him a great nation. My covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time in the next year. And so we have the context of today's message, okay? Now you got it. I mean, that don't even do, but it's a start. <laughs> it's okay, right? You have a context of pain and what happens in the home. You have the objective proof that you're going, and I'm going to have to set in the man, Jesus Christ. Okay, we got that. We've believed that, haven't we? Many of, I, the remnant believes this message. The remnant has usually lost everything for this message. They've already Many of you have already had your name upgraded. You've already had a name change, just like Abraham and Sarah. Many of you in here, you, you know what I'm talking about when God changed your name. You've already had that. And you've already got some of this feeling of the regret from the past. Ishmael was born in the household in some way or another. There's been a problem in the family. You've already got that, haven't you? If you're in God's family, you know what I'm talking about. Because, uh, you know, Abraham had left like five chapters ago from Ur of the Chaldees and went to follow the Lord. I mean, it's been a journey, hasn't it? Right, Tom McManus? It's been a journey, hasn't it? And all that's happened, right? Now it's, now what? And so the Lord comes to him and appears to him in the place of memory. Abram had to come to a new place. Memory means adversity. 
It also means the one who sees. I thought that was an interesting thing. I just found that out just a few minutes ago. The context is set. We know what the context is now. Now God appears to him a second time. Uh, any of you ever studied that when God comes a second time? Do you know this verse in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 11? I think I'm right. I'm running off of my memory. But I think it says something to the effect of, Return to the stronghold, and I tell you this day, I will restore to you double. Anybody know, like, Job chapter 42? You know this, Job? It's one of my favorite books. It'll become yours, too, if it hasn't already. Love Job. Love him. Get to know him intimately. <laughs> Job 42. Job goes through this transformation like this, and you know what happens. It says, and the Lord restored to him what? Double. The Lord now, he's going to appear again. He appears, he appears in the place of a plane. Not an airplane, but a plane. <laughs> you ever been on the prairie? You ever been out to the plains? Anybody drove out west? What do you see when you drive out west? A plane. Plainly, generally speaking, nothing. Every once in a while, you'll see like a little dot house or a little church or dotting the plane. But for most, there's nothing there. It seems like it's sort of, it, and if you get out in Arizona, anybody been to Arizona? Or Nevada? You know, Utah, I mean, Utah's got some more mountains. Idaho does too. But, I mean, generally speaking, there's just nothing. It feels like, you know, there's nothing to stimulate the imagination at all, hardly. You drive for miles. The only thing that will stimulate the imagination is if you put her in the wind. You know what I mean by that? Okay, we call it also put the hammer down. That's the only way I can get stimulated out there. Or oh, a lightning storm. Yeah, a lightning storm. That's cool. Some thunder, lightning, big storm. You know, run that thing up to 200 mile an hour if you can, if it won't blow the engine. It's awesome, actually. I love to go fast, but, you know, the salt flats, right? You know where they go and run them out fast, right? It's not a lot out there, so you got to find something else to do. The Lord appeared to him in a plane. Where everything just seemed to be what? Plain. He appeals to him and appears to him in a place that's normal. Not a lot to stimulate. Not your iPhone. <laughs> you know. At Mamre, the place of adversity, the place where you begin to see. It, it's interesting in the text, he said, and he sat in the tent door. Today when I was, uh, this is where this text come from, the day out of Psalms 27.4, when David says one thing, have I desired of, of you, O Lord, that I may dwell. That word I, I, I shared with you, sabit. This, this word here is yaseb. It's the sabit or yaseb is the same kind of word. It's has the same kind of root. It means to dwell or to sit or to be still. 
Any of y'all have kids or grandkids? How long can they be still? <laughs> Not very long. What are we going to do? When are we going to get there? What's going to happen next? What are you going to do? What about this? I'm hungry. You know what I mean? I think the art of sitting probably is so foreign to today's culture and so necessary for the woman and the man of God. Can you sit in a place where, excuse me, where it is plain, where nothing is there to stimulate you and just be still? And adversity be all around you. And get this, in the heat of the day. <laughs> all right, so I got heat. It's plain. I'm in a place of adversity, and I'm sitting. You ever sat out in the hot sun for a long time? Anybody been in the Middle East? You been in the Middle East? I have. You have? I've been in the Middle East. I've been in Riyadh, I've been in Doha, Qatar, I've been uh, in the Middle East. I've been right off the Persian Gulf in the service. I'm going to tell you something over there. Whew. If you just go out and sit in the sun, we would go out in the sun in the morning, 7 a.m. in the morning, soaked head to toe, soaking wet, in like less than 10 minutes uh, from the humidity that was coming off the Gulf. Just soak you head to toe. 104, 110 degree temperature. Imagine just going out in the middle of the desert and sitting in the heat of the day, which would be about like, you know, the heat of the day for us is around 3 o'clock. That's when the, the sun is the closest to the earth, something about that. I, I don't know that perfectly, but somewhere around there. He's sitting in the heat of the day, and it's that is when God appears to him. Adversity, heat, plainness, nothing going on at a tent door. At a place called adversity or the place that you see. You ever been out in, in the heat of the day without sunglasses on when the sun's glaring down? You know what will happen to your eyes? You lose your ability to see that well because it gets, burns into your retina and you can't you can't see that well. It's just, it all gets like shiny. And if you've ever been out in the desert, you'll see the sun bouncing off of the reflection, I guess, bouncing off of the sand, and it, it, uh, it just makes everything look like a mirage. Do you see the picture that's being painted here? I like this in the text. He says, and he lifted his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. Do you think it's possible that God is waiting on us like this? Do you think that maybe it was possible that God was waiting on Abraham? He gave him a promise. Wasn't he going to fulfill it? Do you think God was, do you think God was waiting until Abraham got into the perfect conditions and when he did, he was going to finally show up and talk to him? I mean, does it seem that way based on the text? All the perfect conditions, then God's going to meet with me. Does it seem like to you that comfort and pleasure here was going to bring a God encounter? Does it? It doesn't seem like that to me. So if, if you're hearing other kind of preaching, let it be accursed. Because it doesn't seem like to me 
that God has presented everything in perfect order, uh, gave the exact right temperature on the air conditioning unit or the heat. It doesn't seem like to me that God is really interested in his uh, surroundings. If anything, it looks like he's allowed him to be in a place of adversity. And he's wanting to see what Abram's going to look at. You know how we are, you know, when everything gets out of order and we go to put it all in order and stuff so we feel better? Or did some of you give up on that a while ago? <laughs> it's getting worse. <laughs> and in the mind, I think you think this chaos is always going to be with me. I can't seem to get the chaos out. I keep trying. I work as hard as I can. The dishes are piling up. The clothes are piling up. Everything's going out of order. Uh, I can't get this job thing settled, this word and work thing. I, every time, it, it's always, and, and the word's like, and you think, like, and I've thought for so many years, that if I could get all that in order, I'll finally feel good. Did it work for you? Or did it? I didn't know. And then, then you say, well, I can't throw my hands up in there. I got to be, I got to do something, right? Could it be possible that the Lord is like, would you sit down? I mean, could it be possible that the environment, the environmental effects, like, I don't know how this is going to do at the Paris Accords. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm just playing. <laughs> and climate, climate stuff, climate change. I don't know how this message would do with that. Uh, if we could just get the climate right, we'll finally feel okay. If we could just get the household right, we'll finally feel okay. It looks like to me that God's coming to him in a place of barrenness, adversity, that God is coming to deliver something to him and her when if it looks anything but like everything is right. Uh, have I beat a dead horse? No. You know why I'm not beating a dead horse on this? Because we need to hear this. I need to hear this. I need to hear this. I need to hear that. I need to hear this message bad. Thank you, Father. I need to hear it. I need to hear that that this is at the place where you meet with us. Oh, what about Moses? He had been in the desert 40 years, in, right? Scrubby little bushes everywhere. They're catching on fire all the time in the desert. They'll just erupt in flames because they can't take the heat. It's dry and arid. There's something different about the, that bush that day. And said he turned aside to see. Abram's doing the same thing. What is he doing? He's posturing his heart. Listen, three men appeared. Um, and he saw them. Can a man see God and live? He said the Lord appeared, and three men were there, and he saw them. And he runs to meet them from the tent door. And he bowed himself toward the ground. Again, I've pointed this out that Abram, in Abram we see here humility. I don't see any entitlement in Abraham. You owe me something, right? I don't, hear, I don't see that in this text at all. Do you see what I mean? I've been promised so much, right? I've been promised so much, and I still don't see a sense of entitlement. I don't see in his character, which I pointed out earlier, I don't see him saying that my righteousness is sufficient. 
He says, if I found favor in your sight. He's not claiming his own righteousness. Do you see what kind of man we're dealing with here? Do you see the kind of man God will come to? The kind of woman he will come and appear himself to? It's right here in the text. Who will he come to? He that has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who's not lifted up his soul to what? Vanity. Who will he come to? He that has a contrition in his heart and trembles at the word. I'll come and meet with you. And you know what? Hey, you know what? You want that meeting. You are made for that meeting. Your promise is contingent on that meeting. The promise that you desire is never, listen, I'm going to say this, ever going to happen without this meeting with God. And a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, a lot of remnant, what they're doing is they're uh, it, filtering around that all the time. They don't want to come down to, and you'll see this in the text, people are afraid. They're afraid if, that if I go in, all in for one thing, he won't come through. Do you know what that fundamentally is? Unbelief. He's not going to come through for me and my family. He's said all these things and backed me into a corner, put me right up against the wall, and he says to you, he says to our family, says to your families, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Am I God or am I not? Do I have the ability, do I have the ability to deliver you and your family? Yeah. Yes. But we said yes. You also got an Ishmael one time too. I'm living in regret. The pain of regret is hurting. You want to deal with regret? Deal with it like Abraham said. May Ishmael live before thee. Let's be done with it and let it be set in the objective proof of who Jesus Christ is. Let's take your past and all the hurt with it that's come with it. And let's say, may the Lord, may it be unto the Lord. Let's let it go. Yeah, but you, and yeah, but you, and yeah, but me, and yeah, buts, and all the stuff. And why don't we say, may it be unto the Lord. May he live in the midst of whatever I did and whatever's been done, I give it to him. Can we not do that? Once and for all, I, you can liberate your human soul. No, that sounds like uh, if you do that, that that's, uh, what do you call that? Uh, denial. That sounds like if you do that, that you're just trying to slough off responsibility. You know, you're just sloughing off your responsibilities. You know what that is? You know what that is when someone says that? That's just the law at work. That's not the, that's the law of Moses. That's not grace and truth who came through the man Jesus Christ. It's easy to point a finger at yourself or someone else, but why don't we say this? Why don't we take our past this morning and say... Why don't we just say this? Let Ishmael live before thee. Oh, man. But then I'm afraid because what am I going to do? I need this promise. You gave me a promise. I'm in a dry and arid land. The place of adversity is hot. Things aren't going exactly the way. The heat's pressing down on me. What? 
The tent door is being violated. Things are trying to come into the home like never before, like I pointed out earlier. I'm going to sit in this tent door and defend this house against every kind of noise that's trying to come into this house. It's trying to violate covenant with the man Jesus Christ and in the household environment. I'm going to stand my ground, right? I'm going to stand my ground believing and trusting in the faithfulness of our Lord, right? He hasn't forgot you. I'm not going to pursue my own righteousness. I love this. He says, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under this tree. Abraham is hospitable. He might not have much. He don't have lemonade, but he's got water. <laughs> he might not have seltzer water, but he's got water. He might not have a Coke, but he's got water. <laughs> you know, he's got something to offer. You ever, you ever felt like that too, that you're in full place of dependency with the Lord and you have nothing else to give? Yes, you do. Don't you hold back. Give the last thing you've got. It's a beautiful character that does that. You, you know, the woman, her and her child's going to die, right? Give me the last, you know. <laughs> you know, I found with the Lord, I, I have found this to be the truth. It's better, it is better to run everything out to zero. <laughs> it's better to put yourself in a position where you have to have it. <laughs> Why hold on? He told me, he said, you keep holding back. You know, it, it, he did this with our accounts, our financial account. Run them to zero every day. I was like, oh. run your checking account out every day. I'm here to say, that thing scared the living daylights out of me. I found out you can do it. We got to get gas. We don't have food. Got six kids. Whatever. We got to pay bills. It's a shakedown like you never. I'm telling you, he will come through. Might not be on the way you want it to. Might not be what you thought you, you, thought you wanted. But he will come through every time. Runner to zero. Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see my father doing. Jesus lived a life. You heard me preach out of Philippians a few weeks ago. If you didn't, listen to it on podcast, SoundCloud. <laughs> Jesus is like, run it to zero. I do. My father comes through for me every time. Oh, Carol, now you're meddling. What, do we believe him? You know, because the miracle... Of God works like this. He said, go get a little water. I don't have a lot of water, but I have a little bit. I pray you be fetched and wash your feet and rest under the tree. If you have a little bit of water, do you want someone to wash their feet with it? I'm just saying. In the middle of the heat of the day. Do you see how rich the text is? It's rich. I mean... If all you had was a glass of water and you had to go and get it and dig a well or you had to go way down and all you had and you said, wash your feet. You three guys wash your feet. Uh, do you see what I mean? That's offensive. <laughs> Why would you tell a man to wash his feet in the middle of the desert? 
Oh, we're thirsty. It just, you know, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? I'll fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, you shall pass on. You know, another thing that's really difficult in the place of adversity when everything's not going your way and you're waiting on a promise, you know what's, you know what's really tough? Is provide comfort for someone else that's going through a tough place. Oh, now I'm really meddling. You know what I mean? You know what I mean when someone else is telling you what they're going through and they don't even see what you're going through? Anybody ever had that happen? They can't even notice you. They don't even notice you. And their problem might seem so much more uh, petty. No, I want you to have comfort. Oh, man. I mean, God's so much in Abraham's nature. You know, the orphan can't do that. <laughs> Only a son and daughter of the Lord can do that. You know, I'm on the down, and you come to me, and I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to be there for you in the middle of your crisis. I mean, hey, Abraham's exhibiting this kind of quality. What kind of man is this? It's amazing is what he is. He's a man that's been made ready for a promise. <laughs> and you shall pass on. Oh, man. Okay, finally, our promise seems to be here. The Trinity showed up. Everything's going to go better for us, right? The Trinity just showed up. My victory is right here. Anybody else ever had this happen? Someone comes to you, they, they give, there's a promise that looks like it's going to happen for you, and then you can't put your hands on it because you know in some way if you do that it's wrong. But it looks like it's your time, it's your moment. Because you've waited all these years for God to move, and finally that thing's come. And what does he say? He gives another, he gives another way out for this promise not to come to him. He says, and you can pass on. Another quality of someone who's been made ready for a promise. Or therefore, have you come for your servant? And look at this. And they said, if this is the Trinity, they were all in agreement. I think that they, I think if it is the Trinity, that they saw in Abraham the same quality that they saw in themselves. They saw a man that was like them. And so in complete unity, not one of the men, not two of the men, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, he looks like us. Hey, you know what? They used to preach all day, so you know if you need to leave, it's okay. But I love this text. I hope you do too. And they said, and they said, so do as thou hast said. What is that? In the Greek, that's called homo legeo. You know what that means, homo? It means the same. You know legeo, the word. You know what it means? He said the same thing they said. They said what he said. Homo legeo means to say the same thing. There was a transaction between God and a man. A man from Ur of the Chaldees. A man who gave a man who gave his seed to a woman that wasn't his wife. A man who's felt regret. 
a man who loves the Lord, a man who's been given a promise with his wife that they're going to see a child come forth, a man who's been changed. I like the next part. <laughs> Abram runs into the tent and he says, Sarah, make us some food. <laughs> That, that beautiful princess of his could cook because <laughs> she was both fruitful and beautiful. I mean, she is so good looking in, in her 90s that Abimelech was going to take her off. And then the Lord had to come and threaten that guy and tell him he's going to kill him. If he didn't give him, he said, he said it was his sister. I wanted to preach a message called From Pimp to Papa. I was like, Abram, you pimped out your wife. It, I mean, this guy's got problems. And then God's going to make him a father of a multitude. I mean, thank God for grace. Right, Steve? There's nothing more special than this fruitfulness and this beauty that's exhibited in his wife. It, it reminds me of Ruth 4.11 where it says they were speaking of, to Boaz and they said, May you, speaking of his wife, said, may you, be, may you be like Rachel and Leah. Rachel was beautiful and Leah was fruitful. May, may the woman that's entering your house be both fruitful and beautiful. And then, and then they say, and Boaz, may you become rich and famous. I mean, it literally says that in the text. That's what they used to pray over families, when they, I believe, when they were coming in the covenant of marriage. May you be fruitful and beautiful and may he be rich and famous. It's in the text. Abraham ran into the herd, fetched him a calf, tender and good, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to dress it. He took butter and milk and the calf, which he addressed, and set it before them. I love this too. And he stood by the tree while they ate. I had this happen when I was down in um, Mexico on a mission trip, we went in this church. They had the most honor like I'd ever seen. And I was, uh, I carried the bag for the preacher. I was his, they used to call it an armor bearer. I carried the preacher's bag. And um, I cared for all the accounts and stuff. I was like, what are you saying, man? You know, I don't want to be Judas or anything. But, you know, I, I, I distributed the resources and made sure everything was covered for him and made sure he was taken care of. And him and I, and, you know, I got to sit next to him because I was his armor guy. And I was sitting there, and this beautiful people, they, our team, our leadership team was sitting down at the table. And, man, they piled our plates up with, like, this much food. It was the best food ever. I still remember eating it. And they sat there with uh, whatever like a waiters and waitresses, and they waited on us, and they did not touch food except to serve us. And the honor that was there was just unreal honor. He stood there while they ate. I mean, who is this guy? He has all the finest qualities in him. I think he, again, he looks like him. They said unto him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee 
And this is, this is what's in, interesting about the text here because it switches to a singular I. He says, and he said, now it's they, and now it's he. And he says, I will return unto thee. I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. Promise is going to be fulfilled. And Sarah heard it in the tent door. Another way to say that is at the threshold. Uh, last week we had in our meeting in the worship set, we, a word came out, liminality. Janie brought up a word about subliminal. The place of the threshold is the place of the greatest, if you study threshold rights, is the place of the greatest disorientation. It's right before your status is about to be changed. There's three rights that you go through in a lip. It's called liminality, not lemon like L-I-M-A-N. It says she was at the place of uncertainty, basically. A place of disorientation. She was at the liminal point, the point where she didn't know how this is going to turn out. She had been waiting, but she still didn't really know. And it says, your promise is going to come. And she heard it. You know, he saw it, but she heard it. And now Abraham were old and well stricken in age. What was the point with this? It ceased to be that she could have a child. You know, you could say, I got to step off this orbit and off onto my own thing right here. Okay, I don't mean that you're saying that, but at the threshold is the place that you really want to pull out. You, you want to pull back. It doesn't feel good. It feels, it's all over the place. Your emotions, your thinking, it's just everywhere. It's at the threshold we're changed. It's at the threshold that you learn that this subliminal message that's been coming at you. There's one message that's coming at you that's coming from the, the dark ruler of this world. It's trying to steal your promise from you. There's a message inside that's looking at the regret of the past. There's a message inside also that's saying, I can't do it. It's impossible. There's one. His name is Jesus. There's one that's been imputing to you his righteousness and changing your character so that you look just like him. Will we draw back from the threshold of promise? Sarah says something that's really interesting. I think a lot of people say this. Uh, she laughs within herself and says this one thing. I'm waxed old 
The days of my pleasure basically are gone. I've already missed out. And my Lord, he's getting old too. <laughs> you know who she's talking about? Abraham. Notice what she calls him. My Lord. You know why? Because she was completely submitted to her husband as unto the Lord. There's a humility in her. There's an honesty, but there's a humility. There's a real submission there. The beauty of the submission of his wife. It's going to be spoke of in the new covenant. What she says right here in the text. And she called him Lord. Why? Because there's this humility. There's this love. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Why did Sarah your wife laugh? said this? Did the Trinity say that? The singular Lord? Is she mocking me? Does she not believe me? Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? I love this verse. Let's all stand again. We'll close. I know I carried this, but let it be. Listen. Is there is anything too hard for the Lord? What promise has he given you? according to this time he says of your life I'm going to come back I'm coming to you and you will have a son and then Sarah went into denial watch the human heart said I laughed not because <laughs> she was scared <laughs> So she became afraid. And he said, nay. You want to see the last quality? <laughs> but you did laugh. <laughs> oh, someone who would tell the truth. Someone that would tell the truth. 
Someone that would just be straight up honest. When every finger could be pointed against them, they would just be uh, truthful. What is God looking for here? Well, we see integrity. I want you to trust me. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, trust him. We're going to trust him, right? All the promises of God are yes and amen unto the glory of God that is working through you. Okay, yes, we may have come short of the glory of God, but in the yes and the amen, can we do this? Yes, Lord, I agree. And amen, let it be so, and let it be done, and let it be finished. every time and every time again and every time again return all bride back to the Lord return to the Lord and trust him and believe him hold out for him for surely 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 nothing is impossible for the Lord say one more thing and I close a son being born to Sarah is reality you know why this is important because it's not just ethereal the son is a real living being you need to hear that because a lot of the church has set things into the ethereal realm and not into the natural realm. 
What, what we're talking about is a natural, a natural translation of heaven to earth. It has to be. It can't be some ethereal thing. It can't just be some character thing. Yes, does Abraham and Sarah model great character for us? Yes. Yes, they do. But there is a literal transaction from the Lord into the natural life of your dreams and what your longings are. The greatest one is he's coming back himself to rule and cover the earth. Himself will uh, split the eastern sky. But there are good things for us now. Before he comes back, yes, and I, I proclaim this with all my heart and I believe you, Lord. Yes, there's healing. There's miracles. Your needs will be met in him now. Now, your wants and desires. He longs for them too. He just wants you. Just you and all of you. He just wants to sit with you and come and commune with you. He wants you and you alone. Oh, and I want you, Lord, too. He's real. He's real. It's real. This life is real. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and may you have peace. Amen. Bless you today.
It is a fire. 